And uh, this time we want to dismiss our children to make their way to children's church. We had to wait till Brad got done singing before we could dismiss the kids because the kids are going with Brad and, uh, and with Valerie, which is, uh, presents for us a great opportunity to let you know we're always looking for volunteers to, uh, to help with children's church. Uh, we have a rotation, and uh, if you'd like to lend a turn every now and then, we're always looking for folks to do that. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. This morning we're going to continue what will be a six-week series with one week being spent on each chapter in this little book, the book that Paul wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I want to talk with you this morning about our church as a family of faith. Our church as a family of faith. So, what is a family? What is it that makes family? What are families like? We'll ask that question, and then we'll apply our answers to the notion of the church as a family. One person has said families are kind of like fudge, mostly sweet, but with a few nuts. Amen. Amen. Some of you are the nuts, so you know. Another person, more seriously, has said, family is not defined by last names or by blood. It's defined by commitment and love. It means showing up when they need it most. It means having each other's backs. It means choosing to love each other, even on those days when you struggle to like each other. It means never giving up on each other. That's what family means. And the Bible says that the church is a family. One person has said this, there is so much truth in it. If you really want to change the world, go home and love your family. I would apply that wisdom to our church as a family. I believe the simple discipline of going to church each week is one of the most revolutionary things that we can do. Uh, you're there with me in 1 Timothy 5. Let's read the passage together. See if you can pick out where this theme of a family of faith came from as we read these verses together. God's Word says in 1 Timothy 5, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Okay, he's talking about relationships in the church. Older people, younger people, how we are to consider one another and talk to each other. In, in the same way, he says, um, younger men treat as brothers. Verse 2, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, well, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Now, she who is truly a widow left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. 
but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies. Some of y'all didn't know the word busybody was in the Bible. Busybodies saying what they should not. Now, uh, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. Now, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And it also says the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you, keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them the judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Church family, this is our passage of Scripture for the day. It speaks to us about relationships in the church, how we are to regard one another as members of this, the same church, how we are to treat each other and address each other. It speaks of older men, younger men, older women, younger widow, uh, women, widows who are really widows versus widows who are not quite the same class of widows. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then it speaks of elders, and in this sense, it's talking about the leaders in the church, or what we often refer to as the pastors of the church. This is God's word for us today. And from this pastor scripture, I want to share with you three biblical truths about our family of faith. Number one, and we've already said it, the church is a family. It may not always feel like a family ought to feel. It may not always act toward one another the way families ought to act toward one another, but the Bible says the church is a family, not a business, not a club, a family. Notice the language of verses 1 and 2. Father, brothers, mothers and sisters. That's the language of family. Now take a moment. Look around this room. This is your family according to the Word of God. The church is a family. 
It's no wonder just a couple of chapters ago in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul referred to the church as the household of God. The household of God. It's no surprise in Matthew 12 when Jesus was asked a question about biological family versus church family. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 48, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then stretching out his hand toward the disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. The church is a family. Let me make three quick comments about our church being a family. Number one, how we treat each other is important. What we say about one another matters because we're not just strangers who occupy the same sanctuary for an hour on Sunday mornings. The Bible, right, God's word, the greatest reality that there is, says we are family. And how we treat each other is important. Paul would say elsewhere to the church at ancient Philippi, Philippians 2, verse 3, he says, listen, family members, don't do anything from selfish ambition or from, from conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How we treat each other matters. Let me, let me take you back to Acts chapter 9 just for a moment. So when Acts chapter 9 begins, the character that we know as Paul is not a Christian yet, right? Acts chapter 9 is his conversion story. He's going around the, 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 that ancient region of the world. He's looking for churches like ours so that he can persecute them. And out of nowhere, on the road to Damascus, Jesus stops Paul. And he says to him, he goes by two names, Saul and Paul. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's amazing Saul didn't say, well, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. But that's not how Jesus saw it. Jesus said to Saul, how you treat the church is how you treat me. That's how Jesus sees things. How you treat the church, your family, is how you treat Jesus himself, how we treat each other is important. Let me share with you another truth about the church as a family. The Bible assumes Christians go to church. The Bible just assumes it. Now, it says that we should very explicitly on a couple of occasions, but everywhere else in the New Testament, it's just assumed that Christians go to church. So let me make this statement. The Bible assumes Believers go to church on Sundays. The world we live in does not. Let me say that again, a little slightly different way. Our book, God's Word, assumes we will gather together for worship, but the county in which we live doesn't think you necessarily have to go. Now, how do I know that? Because there's tons of people who are on church rolls, just like ours, who never come to church. The Bible assumes we go to church. The world we live in does not. I read two different articles this week on this very subject. Listen to what one study done by uh, the Pew Research Group said. 30% of Southern Baptists seldom or never go to church. Did you hear that? Now, we ain't talking about the Methodists. We ain't talking about the Presbyterians or the Church of God. We're talking about us. 30% of Southern Baptists don't ever go to church. One author said this, the Southern Bible Belt 
is quickly becoming a region of unchurched or lapsed Protestants who may still hang on to their evangelical identity to some extent, but who don't think going to church is necessary. You know, if you took here just in the southern United States, if you added up all the people who say, hey, I'm an evangelical Christian, but they don't hardly ever go to church, they'd be the largest denomination in the South. Now, I don't know if you think about that. I think about it all the time because I know our church rolls. There's like 800 people on our church roll. Am I, am I missing them somewhere? But the Bible assumes, because it, the Bible understands, as God thinks about the way things should be, Christians go to church. All right, let me share one other truth or comment about the church as a family. Families share things in common. We just do. You go to a family reunion, even if it's people you don't hardly ever see, when you see them, you know, that, that's one of us. They talk like us. They tell stories like us. You know, they kind of look like us. Families share things in common. God's Word has this to say about the church as a family and the things that we share in common. There is one body and one spirit, just one, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all and in all. How many? Just one. We share that in common. The church is a family. Let me share with you a second. Reality this morning flows here out of this chapter number five. Not only is the church a family, our second main point, families look out for each other. That's what we do. Families look out for each other. How many of you, if you had a sibling, if it had a parent, if your parents are still alive and you found out they were broken down on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere with no one to help them, wouldn't you drop everything you were doing and go help your family? That's what families do. Families look out for each other. A couple of things that we should notice here from verses 3 down to verse 16. Now, most of this is a discussion of how the church dealt with giving assistance to a category of person known as a widow. And not just a widow, but the passage will say those who are truly widows or those who are widows indeed. And so as it turns out, in the ancient world, there was no such thing as a welfare state, right? Like, like you weren't on government assistance. They didn't do that sort of thing. And so if you found yourself as a widow, and in particular as an elderly widow, if you didn't have a family member looking out for you, you didn't have anything. And you didn't have any means by which to get the things you needed to live. Food, water, clothing, shelter. And so the church, because they understood we're a family, they looked for the widows who were truly widows among those who were completely destitute, completely helpless. And they said, sign them up. We need to know who they are so we make sure they're not overlooked. We want to take care of them. But as it turns out, get a little ahead of myself, there were some people, opportunistic, moochers, you might say, who say, I want on that list. I want on that list. If the church is giving out stuff for free, hey, sign me up for that. And so it fell to the church and its leadership to try and discern who are the widows that really need help versus those who maybe have family members who they could help take care of them so the church wouldn't be burdened with those sorts of things. That all falls here in this passage, verses 3 down to verse number 16. Um, do you know that taking care of widows was the issue that caused the first big argument in the history of the church? 
Yeah, you go back to the, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. There, there was a group of uh, Greek-speaking um, widows who felt like they were being overlooked and that there was partiality being shown to the, the Hebrew-speaking widows. And so it fell to the apostles. They then reached out to the church to, hey, let's appoint some deacons, and they settled the matter. They made sure nobody was being overlooked. It had to do with the issue of, uh, of widows. Notice how verse number 3 says, verse number 3, honor widows who are truly widows. And so it falls to the church not only to help its own, but to, to, to discern which ones really indeed need help. Now, that may feel like a heartless question, somebody coming to the church and asking for help, and then church leaders saying, well, do you really need help, or are you just trying to take advantage of the system? Can you believe people would try to take advantage of the system? I don't imagine you ever encounter that in your lines of work, right? No, it's just the way we are. People do that. And so the church wanted to have uh, a sense of integrity about how they handled its resources. Where there's really a need and not just someone seeking to take advantage of the system, Christians are supposed to take care of each other. And most especially when it concerns our members who are vulnerable or destitute or helpless or have no other way. And so, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. We're a family. If you know of a need, let's help meet the need. If you're not sure how to meet the need, reach out to somebody. Reach out to me. Reach out to one of our other leaders. Let's see if we can take care of our church family, right? Christians are supposed to help those in need among them. But let me make another point because it's made here in these verses. Christians are not only supposed to take care of their church family, but even more specifically, Christians are supposed to take care of their biological families. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. For, for, for the way it pictures adult children being told, let me tell you how to show your godliness in, the, in this world. Take care of your aging mom and dad. That's what you're supposed to do. And so, just for a moment, if you're here and you've been through that, then you know what that feels like. Some of you may be here this morning and you're going through that right now. I, I have watched over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've watched my mom care for, first it was her dad who had cancer, just cared for him months on end, made sure he was taken care of. Then it was her mom who had a series of strokes right there with him the whole way, taking care of them. I watch now as my dad. So, so my dad drives around 3,000 miles a week, okay, as a truck driver, gets home, leaves on Monday morning, gets home Saturday morning, and immediately heads off to Waycross to help take care of his 92-year-old father. That's what he does. He works all week. He takes care of his parents on the weekend. There is not a more godly thing you could do than take care of your family members. Amen. Whether that means your kids or your parents or your grandparents. If that's you here today, I know that you may be tired from time to time. I just want to tell you, you are doing God's work. You are showing godliness there is not a more admirable task for you to do right now than this. It says here in our passage, verse number four, it's how you show godliness. In fact, it says it is pleasing in the sight of God to do that. Christians take care of their church family and their biological family. Let me share with you one final point here underneath our second heading this morning. Christians are supposed to be givers, not takers. Christians are supposed to be givers. We're supposed to work hard, be resourceful, be productive, and contribute to our community, 
to our church family, not just be moochers looking for a handout. Churches often have moochers. Y'all know this word, right? Moochers. That's not like a formal word, certainly not a Greek term, but you know what I mean when I say it. It's people who are just looking for a handout. Hey, there's something for free, so I'll pretend I'm all real poor for a second so I can get a handout. Well, that's not how things are supposed to work. Those who position themselves so as to benefit from the church's resources, well, here, God's word says, no, 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 that's not who we're looking to help. We're looking to help people who really need help. Notice as well in our passage a warning against idleness, a warning, a warning against gossip, and a warning against being a busybody. I love the word busybody because even if you don't know what it means, you kind of know what it means just by hearing it, right? Somebody who's, who's just minding everybody else's business, a busybody. Don't do that. When we mind other people's business, when we indulge in gossip, not only are we being unkind and and unloving towards that person, but listen here, every time we're minding somebody else's business in, in a nosy, gossiping kind of a way, we steal some of their dignity from them. Right? Somebody that God created in his own image, thereby filling them with worth, sanctity through our gossip and idleness and being a busybody we take away some of the respect that those persons are owed our gossip about someone else is proof of our lack of love toward them and Christians are supposed to look out for each other because we're a family God's people are to be hardworking, productive members of society at large and in the church particularly. Let me share with you our third main uh, heading this morning. The church is a family. Families look out for each other. And then our, our passage closes with this note. Families have leaders, right? Every, every family has a patriarch or, or a matriarch, and, and you know that. It just, it's just, just the way that things are. and it's, it's not uncommon for the mantle to be passed from one generation to the next, but families have leaders in the same way Churches have leaders. And from verse 17 down to the end of our passage, the Apostle Paul addresses leaders, how the leaders of the church are are to be thought of, how they are to be treated, how they are to be honored, and then also how they're to be held accountable. It's fascinating past scripture, these last few verses. Let me me share with you what I think it means in two, two different ways. Number one, this passage teaches that we're to honor the leaders, That's the persons who are the leaders. And then secondly, we're to honor the position, right? That's that's the office. So we honor the person who holds the office and we honor the office itself. And why? Because God's word says so. Look at verse number 17. Let the elders who rule well. Now the word elder in the New Testament can mean old person or it also can mean a pastor. It just depends on how it's being used. In the sentence. Well, in this sentence, it speaks of elders who rule well in the church, who preach and teach. It's not talking necessarily about a senior adult member of the congregation. He's talking about the pastors. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. Now, I'm going to say a few things here that uh, someone in my position might be tempted to feel uncomfortable about because I'm talking about what I do and how I should be treated. Please know I'm not looking for a handout myself. I'm just sharing with you what God's Word has to say. The word honor there in verse number 17 means compensation. 
That's exactly what it meant back in verse number three, when verse three said, honor the widows who are truly widows, right? You enlist them and you support them in a similar way the church supports its ministers. Let me share with you one paraphrase. It's called the message. Notice the way that that uh, paraphrase of God's word translates verse 17. Give a bonus to leaders who do a good job, especially the ones who work hard at preaching and teaching. Can I just be honest with y'all for a moment? Amen. Uh, honor the leaders personally, the person. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about the position or the office, but we should honor the leaders. Here are a few ways you can honor your pastor. And again, this, this could be misconstrued as being self-serving. I don't mean it that way. You read the passage with me. Let's just see what it means. How can you honor your pastor? Number one, pay him well. Now, we live in a day of money-hungry prosperity TV preachers, right? So that could be misconstrued. I'm not one of those. Why do I mention pay him well first? Well, because that's what the verse means. Honor them. They should be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Secondly, how may you honor your pastor? Treat his family well. It's easy for the preacher and his family to be lost in the crowd of the congregation to be overlooked, to feel unseen, or to be unknown. But this church is our lives too. We are one of you. Thirdly, how may you honor your pastor? Let him lead. God's word says in Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. God help me. I will give an account. And finally, how may you honor your pastor? Contribute to his happiness. Hebrews 13, 17 says, right after telling God's people to obey their leaders and submit to them, it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Don't be one of those Christians who Charles Spurgeon described with these words. And though we shall be happy to meet them in heaven, we are precious glad to avoid them on earth. <laughs> honor the leaders. That's the person. Finally, this morning, honor the office. That's the position. I was reared in a tradition where the pastor was almost untouchable. I don't think that's right. If you questioned the pastor, people would throw around words like, well, you're rebellious. Well, the Bible allows for the questioning of the pastor. In fact, the Bible even says, listen, if you find out that man's living in sin, and not, not just anybody can throw a charge, but it needs to be two or three witnesses, right? There's a way to make those situations right. And we honor the office when we do those things well. So how do we honor the office? Well, by holding leaders accountable. You notice in verse 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul entertains the subject of charges being brought against the pastor. Not necessarily criminal charges, but hey, he's, he, he, he's not done things right. He's not preached proper doctrine. He's not handled the money uh, judiciously or something like that, right? So if that happens, it ought to be done not unfairly, but very 
carefully. And see, the amazing thing to me about this portion of the passage is that as highly honored as pastors are supposed to be among the family of of God, they are not above the law. No one is above the law. No one ought to be a member of God's family and be allowed to get away with bad behavior. We do the office of pastor no good at all if we treat pastors as if they can do no wrong or as if they are untouchable. They are not above being questioned. There should be care taken, yes, but there should be discretion and precautions against unfair charges as well. This passage goes on to say, listen, don't show any partiality, right? Don't prejudge situations. Don't give leaders special treatment, that is. I've seen it happen. Listen, I've seen it. I, I was reared in the context. Again, I tell you, the pastors were unquestionable. And they had enough yes men around them that if you questioned them, you were kind of shouldered out of space, so to speak. Right? But that's not the way things are to be in the family of God. Did you ever know? I'm going to get political here for just a moment. Some of y'all cringe and some of you go, oh, yeah, let's get this. Right? You ever notice how among the left politically, Joe Biden can do no wrong? Did you ever notice that? Yeah, sure. Right. Leaders are given special treatment. Kind of like the way among the right... Donald Trump could do no wrong. (laughs) Leaders don't get special treatment in the family of God. We report to the same boss. And so we honor the office by holding them accountable. Take great care in choosing leaders. We see that in verse 22, verse 24, and verse number 25. Now, before we close, I want to say one word about verse 23. Would you look at it with me? It's uh, easily the hardest verse to categorize uh, in this passage. It doesn't seem to fit. Among all these comments about leaders and widows and how to treat people in the church, Paul gives some very personal, very specific advice to the young pastor, Timothy. He says there in verse 23, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine. All the good Baptists in the room cringed when I said use a little wine. For the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, this is a strange verse. Some people see in this verse license to participate in alcohol. Other people see in this verse license to take a teetotalistic approach, right? right, Some people say, see, you can drink alcohol. Paul told Timothy to. Other people look at it and say, yeah, but, but notice Timothy wasn't going to. Right? Timothy was a teetotaler. He had to be told, hey, take some, take some alcohol to help your health situation. But I don't think the passage is saying either one of those things. The passage is only saying Timothy had some health problems and Paul thought a little wine would help. That's all it says. So we don't want to read too much into that one way um, or the other, other than to say if you're sick, take some medicine, okay? Right? The church is a family. And here's how I want us to close our service this morning. To all of our members who are here today, our church members, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a member, but you've been coming for a long time and you feel like you're part of the family anyways. Today is a wonderful day to recommit yourself to this family. You know, when when Paul wrote to Timothy these instructions, he wasn't talking about the church universal, every Christian At all times and all places. He was talking to Timothy about one church. The church that gathered in ancient Ephesus. Where Timothy was serving as one of its young leaders. 
That church together was a family. This church is a family. Today's a really good opportunity to think about your relationship with your family. I want to ask you, during our invitation time, maybe you'll recommit yourself as a faithful member of the family of God here at Southside Baptist Church. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what? I'd like to join this family. Maybe you'd like to join and become a member here at Southside Baptist Church. When we have our invitation in just a moment, I want to welcome you. If you'd like to join or, or just learn more about joining, why don't you come forward during our time of invitation and come see me. I'll be standing down front. I would love to talk with you about being a part of the family. Uh, if you're here today, though, and maybe you're just interested in Jesus. Maybe your life's got some difficult parts, and for some reason you think Jesus offers hope. Well, let me tell you, he does. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. Today, you can join his family. You just place your trust in him. You ask him to forgive you of your sins. Jesus will be our older brother. God the Father will lead our family, and you will be a son or a daughter. We would love to welcome you into the family of God today. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for this chance to, uh, to study your word together, to learn, Lord, to be encouraged as members of this family. We pray, God, that you'd continue to work in our hearts during this time of invitation. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with me as we respond to the word of God today? As the Lord leads, you be obedient. If there's some prayers that you need to pray,